HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program has been brought to you by greatbrewers.com, a social media marketing platform dedicated to promoting the world's great brewers and the beers they create. For more information, visit greatbrewers.com. You're listening to heritageradionetwork.org, a nonprofit member-supported radio station. We're millions strong, with folks tuning in from over 200 countries. We are education. We are entertainment. We are the future of food. May is our membership drive. Become a member and support us while receiving e-newsletters, advanced invites, special discounts, and a membership card. We need your support. Visit our website and click the donate button to become a member today. Thank you for believing in us and enjoy the show. Hey, hey, welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. It's Jimmy Carboni. It's May 21st, 2013. It's Mead in the first annual New York City Mead Week. And we got some great guests tonight. We're here on the Heritage Radio Network, sponsored by GreatBrewers.com. Thanks so much. And the Good Beer Seal and Association of 41 New York City Beer Bars. All right. Here we are on Beer Sessions Radio. Uh, my buddy, Michael Fairbrother from Moonlight Meadery and uh, his, his wife, Tell us your name. Bernice Vanderbilt. And you're, you're here, and we got our buddy Raphael Lyon, who's a, kind of a, a new small uh, winemaker sure. of uh, ciders and some meads and things and everything. So it's an interesting group here waiting for Chris Kuzme, who's uh, the Fermentabout host, who's also uh, a big part of mead. And today's the special day at the uh, New York City Homebrewers Guild. It's their annual mead meeting. Right. So uh, Michael came down just for that, and after that we're going to go to Burp Castle. And we're going to taste a bunch of meads and homebrew meads, too. So, Michael, you've been doing this a long time, and, and I've met you a couple of times. Uh, how did you first start making mead? Because you have a great story. Yeah, back in 1995, I had just started homebrewing beer in May. And by July, I was at the uh, um, Boston Wort Processors and the Brewfrier Die annual picnic, and somebody offered me a sizer. I had no idea what it was, but I didn't want to embarrass myself, so I said, sure, I'd try it. Now, you ever seen a baby make that little face when it tries something it loves for the first time? That's what happened. I was 29 years Show old. Show me that face. <laughs> yeah, it just <laughs> pops right up. And uh, I went home and started making it. And by uh, 2006, I was starting to win some pretty good competitions. But I had an epiphany. I realized when I pulled out a bottle of beer that I was making, every guy in the room was hanging out with me. But when I pulled out a bottle of mead, every woman in the room was knocking somebody over. I said, there has to be a business opportunity for this. 
Last year, we ended up selling over 5,000 cases. Last Friday, we sold over 1,000 cases in one day. Wow. So are you still like a small business, or are you like this giant uh, no, we're, in the world of meat? We're getting to be a giant, I think. Um, we've got 1,000-gallon uh, fermenters at this point, so you can make 10,000 bottles per batch. We have two of those. We're now looking to expand to a 15,000-square-foot facility. We've got four full-time employees in production and three full-time people in sales. All right. And, uh, Raphael, you're here as a... I know you're a licensed uh, New York State what, winery? Farm, farm winery. Farm winery. Right. And I've had your ciders before, which I've liked a lot. Um, do you also make a mead? Uh, pretty much everything I make is actually technically a mead. Uh, if you put honey in it, it's a mead. So uh, probably what you had was an apple wine, uh, an apple honey wine, I guess. Is that how it would be called technically. And then how did you get started? Because uh, you know you had a farm upstate, and the next thing you know you were trying to sell mead to me and, uh, and, and cider. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I don't know. I think if you look at the history of New York State and what it produces kind of in its own sort of special way, a lot of that is apples and honey. Um, and we have some really great beekeepers in New York and really great apple farmers. So when I started making alcohol, I was looking to those kind of local resources. Instead of trying to import another way of making wine or alcohol, I sort of look at what we had and started there. So the first things I was making were these sparkling apple wines. Um, and I think you were actually the first person to carry it. I was, and I was really proud of it. You had a carboy, and we put it on the bar, the little siphon system. Sure, yeah. Yeah, that was pretty neat. And uh, Okay, so let's talk about meats. So we're going to the homebrew, uh, New York City Homebrew Guild tonight. We're going to taste some meats. I'm, I'm back. I think when I was in college, the first beer that guys knew, that I knew made was like a mead. And how do you make a basic mead? So you start with honey. Uh, we never pasteurize our honey, so we only warm it up to about 80 degrees so we can lower the viscosity. We blend in cold water, add yeast, control the fermentation temperature for about three months. We get about 15 16% alcohol. Then we rack it into secondary where we let it age and drop to clarity and filter and bottle. All right. So, Bernice, tell us, you, you guys are up in Londonderry, New Hampshire. Correct. Uh, my cousins live there, the Ebba family, and... Uh, I've I've actually haven't been there in like twenty or thirty years, so I'm due to visit. But what, what's your facility like? And you you, you make it there? Do you, can people go and taste there as well? Everything gets made right on site. Uh, we are right off Exit Four of Highway ninety three North, so definitely come over and visit. We're open seven days a week for tours and tastings, and we are currently in a four thousand square foot facility. So we have grown from our double garage, literally four hundred square feet. We moved into a 2,000-square-foot facility, and we are busting at the seams currently. So uh, what about New Hampshire laws? Have they helped you grow (laughs) and develop? Is that a good place to make wine and mead? It's turned out to be that way, but we had to get a law changed. So you couldn't make wine that was above 15.5% alcohol unless it was fortified and unless it had grapes in it. Since we don't use any grapes in our products, that was a challenge for us. And our bestseller, Kurt's Apple Pie and Desire, are both pushing almost 17% alcohol. So the state of New Hampshire Liquor Control Board said, you can't make this anymore. And uh, I happened to have some good friends, and I contacted one of the kids I went to kindergarten with. Well, he's no longer a kid. He's an old man like me now. And uh, his father happens to be the um, in-the-house representatives and helped and worked with us to help get the law changed to allow us to make these meads. And we got that law passed last year, signed by the governor. And uh, it's now easy for us to continue doing great business so well, you tasted us on this first one it's got like a pink color yep 
this is a uh, it's called wild it's a dry blueberry goes really well with like a uh, grilled steak tips the char from the grill really kind of pulls out the uh, honey notes has a nice uh, alcohol little lightness to it but it's almost 14 percent so you know for the alcohol level it's really quite tasty and light yeah let's taste on, let's on another one to your thing um What's your your apple pie? Tell us about that one. Yeah. Kurt's apple pie. Kurt's apple pie. So this one's made with twenty five percent honey, seventy five percent apple cider. Then we add Vietnamese cinnamon and Madagascar bourbon vanilla beans in secondary. So it really has that uh, apple pie like. So flavor. the mead has like it's it's kind of a general term because we we met a guy a couple weeks ago from Denmark, who's making mead and uh, he's mostly using honey, but you also put in fruit juice, right? Whoa! Disaster! Crash! Sorry. Crazy! This is the quietest show we've ever had. We've had. The meat guys aren't that talkative. I mean, so, uh, other than dropping my own meat on the floor, which is a sin. Um, yeah, we um, you can make melomels, which are meads made with fruit, or methaglens, meads made with spices. All our meads have at least fifty-one percent uh, base fermentables from honey. So when when you go to the homebrew guild tonight in uh, Burp Castle, uh, like give us a little snippet of the presentation you'll be making. Cause so I know how that works. I'm going to talk to them about. How we started, how we've grown, um, pretty much, you know, from 2007 when I actually formed the company, I was thinking I was going to do this part time at night. And uh, that year, I won my first Mead Maker of the Year award at the New England Regional Homebrew Competition. Had no time for the business, so 2008 again, I paid the state of New Hampshire the hundred dollars to kind of keep the company afloat. That year, I won my second straight Mead Maker of the Year award, and in 2009, I was literally. Between me and $100 throwing the company away. And I was at the Craft Brewers Conference in Boston, and I was talking to Omar from Surly Brewing Company. And when I told him how I was going to do this part-time at night, he changed my life with one sentence. He looked at me and he said, how can you possibly think you can do something you love part-time? And that changed everything. Between then and September, I worked on my business plan. This competition was coming around again. Won my third straight Mead Maker of the Year award. And better still, I won Best of Show first place out of 353 entries and I literally drove home from this competition bawling my eyes out because I was in control of my life up until that point. I was a chief executive in a software company and here I am throwing all that away to kind of chase my dreams and uh, the last three years have been nothing but incredible. That's a great story. Bernice, you've been part of that, right? I have. I am a mead lover. Michael and I actually met. I was uh, actively seeking some decent cider to drink. I come from South Africa. Couldn't find anything comparable to a cider that I used to drink back home. And uh, Michael used to have a blog online. And um, I thought to myself, well, as president of Brewery or Die at that point, um, if he didn't, couldn't find me a cider that I liked, I was out of luck. And I fell in love with mead, and I, so I went ahead and married me a mead maker. Wow, that's romantic. <laughs> romantic. So you're right. So you did get the ladies by making mead instead of beer. Yeah. it's um, What I didn't realize as a young man is when you make a woman happy, they tell every single friend they have. My word of mouth advertising has been off the charts. You know, we grew last year by 76% from the year before that. The year before that was 760 Don't scare me with, with numbers. <laughs> yeah, it was just massive. Anecdotes, please. They're good. <laughs> I do like anecdotes. Like, like, like Bernie said, this is here from South Africa, so you actually do like mead, you like cider. And we've met a lot of people from England who appreciate different styles of cider. Like, there's some Spanish ciders that are really funky, you know. Um, super tart, you know, barnyard nosy, and, and usually the English people like that. Um, what, what do you think is different about the palates in America? 
I think with us, what we've managed to succeed in is we've taken an, an old product, basically the ancestor of fermented beverages, and we've refined it. And our target market mainly is women. So our marketing, our tagline, Romance by the Glass, the fact that the, the story goes that it's tied in from where the term honeymoon comes from. All of our wines have romantic names. We keep the guys happy. We have our uh, jaded series. We uh, have Scorn and Fury, and we have fun <laughs> with the names. But I think we've really refined it, and we've been successful because we've taken it to the mainstream market. We don't just um, sell it or, or market it to sort of the Renaissance Fair target market audience. We've mainstreamed it. And what, what was the name of the beer? The, it, uh, the mead you just poured from Yep, that one's sensual. That sensual. One's tra- wow. The traditional <laughs> mead. I didn't know I was getting into this. This is fun. <laughs> so the, um, we started our product line with Desire, which is our flagship. That's the one that won the uh, best of show. And uh, my original tagline for the company was curl your toes with mead. You know, I was trying to be suggestively cute and kind of the innuendo about it. My buddy came over and he said, yeah, but toe curling can be bad. I'm like, shit, I hadn't thought of that. And uh, so we changed the tagline to Romance by the Glass, and all the mead names kind of fit into that story. All right. Well, going back, when you won your, your Mead Maker of the Year awards, I mean, what was it about your mead that, that won? I mean, there must be some qualities that you identified that would win a competition. Yeah, I think it's got to do with um, not being afraid to go big. So being big in 15, 16, 17% alcohols versus 10, 11, 12% alcohol. Um, really going first with flavors that I like. I'll never make a mead that I don't want to drink. And every single mead that we make, I make over 66 varieties now, I make for myself. If nobody's going to drink them, perfect. I get to drink what I like. And that's where I want to come from, which is, you know, do what I love and love what I do. All right, let's raise our glasses and make a toast. Cheers. And Raphael, what, what do you think about these meads? I'm, I'm into them. They're good. I'm, I'm going to try all of them. It's, it's hard for me to judge them. I mean, it's you know because they're they're a little sweeter than what I'm used to drinking. Um, I've had your meads before and I like them, but it's it's definitely a different product. Yeah, it's a whole new category, and that's what we're trying to do, which is I'm not trying to emulate anybody else. That's why I make 66 varieties. I'm trying to define the whole category of what mead can be, whether it's very bone dry, really tart. Um, we have some barrel-aged ones. We make some in Sam Adams Utopias barrels. We get over $100 a bottle for a 375-milliliter bottle, and I can't keep it in stock. Wow, that's amazing. I, mean, I think I think that's prob- probably the most interesting thing about mead is nobody really knows what it's supposed to taste like. When people were making mead, you know, it was 5,000 years ago. So actually, unlike making red wine, which is, has all these sort of expectations of like, okay, so it's a... Uh, you know, Bordeaux, and it has to be a certain way. It's a version of a Bordeaux. It's a dark Bordeaux. It's a heavy one. It's a light one. With mead, it's, you know, you can really start from scratch because it's typically something that, um, I mean, my guess is that most of the meads you make are not just honey and water. They always have some other aspect that's like, works with it, right? We actually make several. The one you just tried was just honey and water. Mm-hmm. Um, we have another one made with tuple blossom honey. We make some with orange blossom honey. We have, um, yeah, we've made one year alone. I made over sixty different single source varietal honey meads just to play, see what mm. each flavor of that honey can contribute. And nice. it makes a difference depending on the honey that you use your end product. And unlike wine, we don't. Uh, you'll never find a vintage on our bottles because simply every season your honey can change. Your seasonal fruits are going to change. You could have a beehive in the same orchard, and if you harvest that honey early fall versus late summer, the honey's going to be different. 
All right. Let's raise our glasses. Hey, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions cool. Radio. All right. You're listening to Never in Love by Four Lincolns on the Heritage Radio Network.org. So you like good beer. Whether you're a craft beer pro or just had your first sip of an IPA, GreatBrewers.com is your number one beer resource on the internet. GreatBrewers.com bridges the gap between the world's great brewers and the consumers who enjoy their products. With so much information and misinformation out there, GreatBrewers.com focuses on education and leaves no stone unturned. Take the Great Beer Test on their website and browse through an extensive product catalog. Download their mobile beer cloud app, which includes a GPS beer finder, a beer sommelier, and descriptions for over 5,000 different brews. What are you waiting for? Back up that passion for craft beer with some solid information and education. Visit GreatBrewers.com today. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. Hey, guess what? It's May, and uh, you should join uh, Heritage Radio Network. I'm a member. I'm number 501. I'm very proud to have my membership card in my wallet, and you get a lot of special benefits. And uh, check it out, heritageradionetwork.org. Um, Michael, are you going to be a member of Heritage Radio Network? I Michael. think so. Why not? Yeah, Moonlight Meadery. Come on. Woo-hoo. Yeah, You'll get two for one. <laughs> We've got, we're expanding. we got, we got Justin Kennedy. we got Eddie. we got these great guys. In, in the studio tonight, and uh, Chris Kuzmi just walked in, who's now, he, he was president of New York City Homebrewers Guild, and he's the reason why we're doing a mead show tonight, because this is the annual Homebrewers uh, Mead Night, isn't it? Yes, this is the uh, the 13th annual mead meeting of the New York City Homebrewers Guild. And I, I think it's one of the first the first ones I ever sat in on a few years ago, where it was like meads of all types and and shapes and colors. and it, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's mind-blowing to me. I mean, I was... I was Unfamiliar with mead until the until this meeting and and uh, it just blew my mind. I love the diversity and, and it, it, it's a delicious what's like, beverage. Have you ever, what's like one of the weirdest meads you ever had? Durian mead. My friend made durian mead, and so if you're not familiar with the fruit durian, durian is a very. If you look it up on Wikipedia, it actually durian has the, gray. the the distinct smell of pig shit. <laughs> and uh, and so my friend entered this into a lot of competitions, uh, homebrew competitions. And it definitely had that smell. I mean, it was really, it was, it's one of those fruits that's like really sweet to the taste, but has a really horrible od- aroma. And uh, if you enter into a special category in a homebrew competition, you have to send a description of what the, what that, what that unfamiliar kind of th- thing is. If it's that, if it's that weird uh, an ingredient, you have to do that. And so he got all these, these, uh, you know, these uh, uh, judge sheets back. That all said yes. It has the distinct aroma of pig shit. You said pig shit. <laughs> yes. So, that, that, so I mean, it was aptly. You know, they had to score. You're defining right, you barnyard to, smell, right? Oh yeah. It was, I do. It was, that's one thing I love funky, about man. these type of products is Raphael Lyons here. Lion. I always call him Lyons. I, when actually I met you a long time ago, our good friend Sarah Grady at Glenwood introduced us, and uh, you, you started making your own. You're calling it honey honey mead or apple mead. You're kind of like crossing over categories because I always thought you were a cider maker. Yeah. The the. Uh, the feds kind of hate me because every time I send something in, they're just like, uh, this isn't – it's always it's always sort of in between. But, I mean, from the government's point of view, if you put honey in it, it's meat. You can put a drop of honey in it, and if it's a juice, 
and you're making wine, it's mead. So well, only if it's under fourteen percent. Right. True. Yeah. Exactly. So or or above six. Right. I mean, if I was starting to make cider, it'd be a little. Well, let's go. Th- so what? So, say again. So what's under six percent? I mean, as far as I understand it, it's like if you're making basically a wine strength alcohol, let's say around twelve percent. So between six and fourteen percent. Yeah, they're under seventeen. Uh, then uh, you are making wine uh, if you're not using, uh, you know, um, grains. And so at that point, they say, what kind of wine are you making? If you use honey at all, it's a honey wine. And then you add, you know, it's a honey apple wine, it's a honey black currant wine, it's a honey with an infusion. But And those are all, I mean, if you use the kind of more ancient terms like you do on your labels, like the... Can never pronounce them, so I sort of skip it. Melamel, and <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right. So there's also there's also a kind of traditional way to think about mead that involves like, well, are you using a juice like this one that we just had uh, with the black cherry, blueberry, and, and black currant? Yeah. So like, you know, there's a traditional mead that's called a black mead that has black currant in it, but it's not a uh, legal term, you know. Then what happens when you go over fourteen percent? This is what I understand. So in New Hampshire, you have these different rules, but yeah. you're fourteen percent or seventeen uh, percent. You hit different. Um, Registry rules for the TTB. So category 24 is for traditional meads. Like you can make a mead with up to one pound of hops per 100 gallons of product. Well, <laughs> anybody that's a homebrewer would laugh at those numbers. One pound of hops for 100 gallons of batch of beer, you're not going to taste them. Yeah. So anything that we make for the most part, which is above 14%, they won't let us put the term mead on the label. That's why our company is named Moonlight Meadery. Because they make you put on the label other than standard or specialty wine, which means it's higher in alcohol, and then you have to list out the the components of the product, like 22% honey, 72% cider, or whatever the case may be. But they want you to imagine that you're not using any water. So the honey has got the same sugar content as, like, apple cider. Well, honey's thick. (laughs) You know, honey's, what, 65 bricks? So the, the content of the sugar matters because that's what ferments and makes alcohol so it shouldn't be the percentage of the the you know the component it's rather the percentage of the base fermentables from that component that should matter but but basically i think we you'd probably agree that like the entire structure of the ttb and all the laws from the state down are built around grape wine absolutely and so when you make mead you're just always running into this sort of issue around labeling or the contents which is just like like you know honestly like there should i'm I'm not allowed to uh, put a, um, you know, like a vintage date. We talked about this, right? Why? Because I make wine, not a honey, not for any other reason. You know, if you made it out of grapes, you can have a vintage date. But you just can't, they just don't let you do it. So I, the, the least interesting and least fun part of this is dealing with the government. But your license is a New York State farm winery license. Right. So I have a farm winery license, which is kind of interesting because I'm probably at a similar place where you started in the sense that I'm operating at a 400 square feet but uh, my business model really works with the, uh, the state law, which allows, as a farm winery, I'm allowed to sell directly to customers, and I'm also allowed to wholesale. I can basically sell at any point that... Um, and that's how we and, started as well. Right. And that's really exciting for me because I come from a kind of political background that is really interested in the CSA model of being a farmer. And the CSA model means that you're not producing necessarily to distribute for a kind of random group of people, but rather you have a, a very specific relationship with a very small amount of people, and you make wine for them. So 90% of my wine is pre-sold. 
Uh, I have a subscription of people who were sort of invested in what I do, and they buy a certain amount of wine every year, and they don't let's, get to pick it. Let's taste some of yours because I haven't had yours in a couple years, Raphael. Okay. Let me ask you this: so, when you have your CSA model, mm-hmm. do people get to taste your product before they buy it? No. So this is more like a, just a trust thing. It's a trust it, thing. It's cool, but do they do they really like your product? Uh, they they come back, and I'm always sold out. I mean, actually, the most exciting thing that's happening right now is I'm expanding, so I'm opening up. I'll get like 30 new spots in the CSA. Um, so this is a bottle that was in the winter CSA, and it's a wild fermented apple well, honey it's, wine. It's a nice looking bottle. You have this uh, kind of cork cap thing, right? It's, uh, it's a. In, do you buy these, or do you have someone make this for you? Or do you bottle it yourself? Um, How do you do this? This is like amazing. I do. I mean, you got I like mean, a, there's a barn in the Hudson Valley where you used to have carboys, car, you know, fermenting. Yeah, I mean, I mean you you've know, really there's, gone a long way here. There's nothing that. I'm doing that. Let's leave that one breathe, actually, if we can. Um, there's nothing I'm doing that a homebrewer couldn't do. I mean, the equipment's really small. I'll probably, I'm stepping up the size of the fermenters, but I do all the labels pretty much myself, where I have some artist friends. This is a artist friend, Kevin Hoyman, who did that Saturnalia label. Um, okay, so this is a, uh, a buckwheat infused uh, dry honey wine made out of wildflower honey. So we can start with that. Um, this would have been in the... That was the smallest port ever on the air, Raphael. <laughs> <laughs> he gave me like... Forget the two fingers. Come on. I got at least two fingers he on got the, the air. Two Come, on, bro. Come on, I only got like two cases He's left, you know. But you already opened the bottle. Are you going to recork it and save it for later? Yeah, right. Exactly. I know, on. right? So uh, this I really like a lot. Um, and the interesting thing about buckwheat is that it's not a grain, technically. It's a fruit, so you're allowed to use it. Wow. Which is exciting. I work with a lot of tea people, Uh you know, part of the history of mead making is like a really long tradition of infusing herbs, medicinal herbs, magical herbs. And if you had looked at what people were making mead with a long time ago, it'd be pretty weird. You know, they'd put all kinds of stuff in there. Um, one of the research projects that we're doing, uh, and if you go on enlightenmentwines.com, we have a blog, and I've been doing a research project around a, an ancient mead that the Picts made in uh, Scotland, or what was before Scotland which was probably psychotropic and uh, had an enormous amount of protein in it. And they found evidence of this, and we were sort of researching this kind of wine. And they were using heather tips, which are, you know, it's basically like grass. You know, it's like some kind of weed that grows out there. Um, would have tasted really woody. I'm super interested in knowing what that might taste like. So you mean like psychotropes, like what, they had wild mushrooms or something? Uh, there was probably a fungus that grew on the heather tips that uh, were infused in the wine. I mean, there's... You know, obviously, I, I can't make that and sell it, but the uh, you know it existed. You know, this this wine with the apple, which we'll try next, next has a lemon verbena infusion in it, which is um, uh, you know really nice flavor. It's really important to me. And then the dandelion wine is uh, is something that I started making actually for this shop in Greenpoint I, because you know it's called dandelion wine, and they had never have found a dandelion wine that they like to drink and people would you know you google dandelion wine you get the shop in greenpoint and uh you know that's something that i spent three years making but because of this way that my place works because everything's so small i can run like 10 variations at once and do that in over three years to get the yeast and figure out the all the different ratios of the flowers and and then i work with wild crafters upstate who you know they walk around on their hands and pick flowers for like a week 
and they freeze them, and then I go pick them up. Cheers, man. You've really yeah, this is amazing stuff. Cheers. So like, uh, and Chris, I mean, as a home brewer and we, a brewer, we have more of this actually. We've I'm, got. I'm, I'm, thank you. I'm See, sorry. <laughs> we're loosening it's, you it's, up. It's uh, it's it's a it's only twelve percent. It's like I, I don't make them quite as strong as Moonlight does, um, but so they're, they're a little. Yeah, we got both. We've, we've got this total artiste, and we've got this really great, successful, award-winning, you know, uh, producer here. This is pretty awesome. But what's um, great about it is, is it's that the the craft palette today is so it, it's grown and it's evolved, and people are not happy with the same old same old anymore. They really are interested in choice. And if you think about the explosiveness of the market, I mean, I started my garage the hope of making four hundred gallons per year. My smallest fermenter at this point is five hundred gallons. You know, it's I, I'm just trying to keep up with everybody that's calling me and asking for product at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think one of the interesting things about the whole field is that um, we're now at a place, I mean, this radio network is part of it. I'm really excited to be here. But there's something really kind of profound happening in food in the last maybe five years, especially in New York, especially in Brooklyn, which is that the level of conversation around food and around drinking has changed. And it's not so much about being good. It's not so much about a good version of something. It's a lot more about being interesting. And what are the what's what are the potentials? Like what can we do with a pizza? Like what what's the possibilities of it? And that's a conversation that is starts to border on the kind of discourse that you might have around other fields like philosophy or art. So, you know, it's things that we have like a kind of really long tradition. And so I think one of the nice things about working in mead because it's sort of undefined you can propose questions through it about what is, like you said, like what is what can this be? You do 66 varieties. Like imagine a winemaker making 66 varieties of grape wine. Like it's a completely different kind of mentality. And the flavor profile pairs up with food so much better than grape wine can. I mean, think of how many chefs work honey into the cheese plates or roast dishes or pick the flavor. Honey just accentuates that natural taste of the food. Sure does. Chris Kuzme, I want to ask a quick question. Okay. So Sorry. I'm like I'm a college student just out of college. I want to make my 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 quick and easy first brew ever, and it's going to be a mead, and I'm going to take Grolsch bottles and, and cap them and pour. <laughs> no problem. That's, that's great. What, what, give me a quick recipe. Well, I'm a big fan of short meads, and if you if it's your first if it's your first recipe, and, and you're going, what is a short mead? Short meads are meads that are actually they're sparkling. They're about five percent. Um, they're they're low in alcohol. They they can be beautiful, and they can be done in a week or two weeks kind of thing. You want to drink them fresh. You don't want to give them too much time, and you can have them carbonate right there in your little Grosch bottle. Uh, and actually, I have several that we'll share with you today uh, that, that Mary and I just made last week, and I have one that I'm making at five oh eight. And part of the reason why I'm making it at five oh eight is because according to DTB, I'm not allowed to make a, a you know anything strong if it's a someone so i'm allowed to make a make a mead that's 6.99 percent or lower and it's technically a there. beer or something or well i have to put a little bit of honey malt in there you have to wave a, like yeah, a barley to, yeah, leaf like over the, it or something yeah i have to <laughs> sprinkle some barley in there and i'm allowed to do it um the width of barley but how do you how do you do that how do you make one of these two pounds get a one gallon jug of distilled water uh, from your from your uh from uh, from your local store get a one plastic jug you can do everything right in this jug and then get two gallons or sorry two pounds of, of honey and uh first of all take take about four cups out of your uh, out of that jug uh, heat that up blend it with your honey so that your honey is viscous pour all of that right into back into the jug 
shake it up to aerate it, uh, and then throw just some champagne yeast in it, and then and just let it ferment for a week. Uh, but make sure that you have the, the the lid a little bit open so it doesn't explode on totally. you. And uh, you know, best thing to do is to sanitize it if you have any sanitizer. But this you this will yield. So I'm gonna go, I'm nice coming to Burke Castle tonight. I'm gonna check it out. I'm gonna yeah. try all the different means that you guys made. And is there is there a, is there a site? Imagine I was just out of college, just turned 21, and I wanted to make a fast meat. Is there a, a good site with the recipe? There's a great that? site. Actually, so we'll have more links to stuff at nycmeadweek.com. I've just started that. Um, <clears throat> but um, my girlfriend Mary has actually a bunch of short mead recipes on her blog called mylifeoncraft.com. Um, All right. And so great. Chris, you're on. Chris and Mary are the hosts of uh, Ferment About Ferment It, which about is a, it. a show here on Harry's Radio Network on Mondays. <laughs> and don't forget, you can be a member, too. So, All right. Guess what? It's uh, First, we'll make a toast again. Oh, tweet We're, we're into like our... like. 14th Mead right now. All right. And uh, we're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a few minutes on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. You're listening to Southern Pretender by the Four Lincolns on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Keep it locked for more beer sessions, everybody. We got the children clear the halls. This is something I've been through before. Like what you hear so far? Support the network and become a member. Membership helps us bring you the best food radio in the world and gives you access to thousands of dollars in discounts at the sustainably-minded businesses that support us. To become a member, visit heritageradionetwork.org today. Hey, welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm here at Roberta's in Brooklyn. We've got this pizza that uh, Raphael ordered and sitting here. And uh, what, what's better, Raphael? It's your first time out here. You're kind of impressed, aren't you? I, I you know, I remember you uh, talking about this as an idea about three years ago, and I was like, and I, I just, just, you know, okay, you're gonna have like some closet. It's gonna like be, like be kind of moldy, and then maybe you'll have like a computer. You know, like what you what do you think about a web radio? And this this is like this is nice. I mean, you've got a huge window. We can look at all the people eating, and so you've got. Heritage cool Radio equipment. Network rocks, man. This is cool. This is it's the nicest inside of a shipping container I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> and we get, to, we get to eat at Roberta's. Usually a typical night here at Spear Sessions Radio. We're hanging out with our guests, drinking their product. Then we'll have dinner at Roberta's. And, uh, you know, maybe it's a, uh, I don't know. What do we usually eat when we come out here? Besides pizza, there's a lot more than that. So maybe pork collar from, uh, you know, Mangalese to pork collar. You know, all these beer and food pairings. There's all this potential. Steak is bangerang. Yeah. We don't have steak tips in New York, buddy, Michael, over there. Well, we have a mead that can go with a pizza. We have a mead. A couple of meads that will go with pizza, so you're good. You might have, you know, Have you ever made a pizza mead? There's that, you know, there's a pizza beer out there. Not going to happen. Do you know why my my head is so hammered tonight? We're going to do a quick recap. You know, they had that Guga Muga event this weekend, but we had a better event. We had Taste of Tribeca, which was the 19th year of it, 70 restaurants. All for all for local schools downtown. That was that was my Saturday, and I had a lot of fun. We have do so many great food events, and um, looking forward to a lot more. We have uh, Jazz Age Lawn Party this year. It's gonna, it's a big event on Governor's Island. We're going to produce uh, some of the food the food portion of that, and we're going to go up the Hudson Valley this year. And last week, I I think I spent like two whole days with the Newburg Brewing guys, oh, yeah. and they have the if you want to go up the Hudson Valley on the Memorial Day weekend or any day this summer. Go to Newburg Brewing. It's probably the nicest brewery in the whole New York State. It's an awesome tasting room. 
and uh, I, I really had a great time up there. You have views of the Hudson. I think the Hudson Valley is really coming up. We're talking about products like cider and, and mead, but there's more and more breweries. Peekskill is now everyone I think acknowledges them as the the best new small brewery in, in New York. And you get Newburgh Brewing, and you get Keegan's and Kingston. It's like you could work your way up the up the Hudson, you know. So I, I recommend that. So. All right, guys. Cheers. Join them with me. Come on. I'm just wiped out. I'm wiped out. There's too many events this weekend. Everybody's getting crazy. So, Jimmy, I have a theory of how mead came about. There's a cave painting that dates back 20,000 years ago. It shows man harvesting honey from beehives. Okay? Honey's been around for a long time. So, let's say 20,000 years ago, somebody got clever enough to paint a painting of this. Now, as a previous beekeeper, I can tell you you can't take honey from a beehive and expect the bees not to come after you. So, they had to figure out how they were going to store this honey. They could do it in a deep, dark cave like they're finding honey these days that's 6,000 years old in, in Bulgaria and Russia. Or you could put honey underneath water because honey's the only food source that never goes bad. Honey's the only food source man can survive on just water. And you know what? You can reach down through that water, grab that honey, eat it, drink the water as you're hunting and gathering. And as honey sits underwater, it starts to dissolve and it starts to naturally ferment into alcohol. And the rest is history. That's a beautiful story. So what about the stories about, like, bears, like, reaching into some... Okay, the same kind of thing. So there's, like, a tree trunk. There's, there's like, a, a, a honey hive, and, and it got filled with water. And the same thing. So you're saying that's how it ferments naturally? Yeah, and then I the think bear that, puts its paw in and, and gets some fermented I think that, honey? that story is probably more convoluted than the natural instinct of just taking honey from a beehive and... Yeah, you know, the first story I ever heard was, okay, these elephants crashed into these trees in Africa, and magically it rained, and, and this turned into honey wine. Well, <laughs> okay, elephants crashing into tree trunks, and it raining, and the bees not being able to get the honey in time, versus man being clever enough to figure out, hey, by the way, nothing pathogenic will live in a fermented beverage. I can walk around with a food source I need to live on, and I got water to get by, and if I find an antelope or deer or whatnot that I can kill to eat bonus you know I can put a little honey on top of that and after I fry it up it's good yeah there's a lot of nu- there's a lot of nutrition in this like whole story I mean I think in America and even, you know even you know contemporary alcohol drinkers like they they drink it because it's like a company's food or maybe they get drunk but there's a lot of reasons to drink fermented beverages and historically you know like substance is one of them you know this one of the things we learned when we studied the picks was that like when you think about the picks, you have to think about these like dwarfish, like massive, short, stocky men covered in tattoos who fought off every single invader for two thousand years, including the Roman army. These are this is like where the the dwarves come from. Tolkien's dwarves are based on these people, and it's because they were drinking this honey wine because it had, was you know that honey was so hard to get out that when they fermented, they just fermented in the hive with all the bees and everything, mm-hmm. and they'd eat all that. That would all go in there. And then it just got, you know, fierce. <laughs> Chris, I feel like you must have a quote. Uh, What's the Benjamin Franklin quote? Which, which Something. <laughs> <laughs> Drinking is good for you. That's all I can Drink tell you. Fear not for, for the meat is My good for you. My quote that I usually say is, is uh, you know, inebriation is not a destination point. It's a perk for those with good taste. All right. That's my yeah. cheers. Yeah. And I'm more interested in what Bernie says because I feel like South Africa still has this, like, first of all, you have a great accent. Well, thank you. Yeah. I've been here for Just 13 years. I haven't lost my accent yet, but uh, people tell me not to, so I won't. 
Um, yeah, I mean, when when you look at uh, listen to Michael's story, I, I've got to say, coming from Africa, when you look at the history of mead, yes, a lot of the the historical references do go back to Africa, probably way before Africa was actually even its own continent. So, uh, you know, we we tell the story of about how Neolithic paintings show honey gatherers, and if you think about the how the story goes, they fought the bees and the, uh, the bears to gather the honey, and they they either had to protect it because bees will come back and repossess their honey. Um, or they basically carried it in animal skins and it got rained on and uh, they drank the water off, probably safer in those days, and suddenly the honeypots went out in the rain. So, you know, today we make lots of honeypots. A, a couple weeks yeah. ago we had on a, a Danish mead maker, and I can't remember his name. Oh, the guys from Vikings, Vikings Blood? Blood? Yes, Vikings Blood. So he, he said basically for him the issue is they actually have to expand their honey honey sourcing. And they're trying to get honey from Africa now. Where do you get your honey yeah, from? We there? only buy True Source certified honey, which means it's independently verifiable back to the beehives. So a bee in its lifetime makes a twelfth of a teaspoon. It takes 6,500 bees to go to 1.2 million flowers to get enough nectar to make enough honey for us to make two bottles of mead. And what's going on with like the collapse of the bee community? Yeah, it's been pretty scary. Um, this year alone, there was a, at least a third, I think a third of the hives, commercial hives collapsed. And um, you know, while New Hampshire had a bumper crop of honey last year, it's the winterization and the challenges of the bee mites and the pesticides that are being used that are wiping out the colony. So, you know, call your congressman. Ask I, them what I, ha- doing I have a friend, it. and she she got a beehive and put it on her deck and. It died because of the same thing. There were mites, and she didn't know how to deal with it. Do you have um, – is your honey from New Hampshire, or are you allowed to use any honey from the States? Uh, we buy honey um, through uh, McClure's, which is uh, – actually can be anywhere from Canada, United States, or Argentina. But the, the key for us is we want to know where it actually came from. Right, because you can have honey packaged anywhere, and they can label it as – USA honey, but mm. it doesn't necessarily mean it came from the state. Yeah, I could care less where they package the honey. Right. I mean, I'd love to buy all the New Hampshire honey possibly to use, but the only challenge there is you can't, um, you know, we can't get enough yeah, honey from the state of New but Hampshire. But we're jumping over. Listen, sorry, 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 Raphael, sorry. I want to get, we're going back to esoteric. This is awesome. This is one of my favorite things I've ever drinking. The Memento Mori dandelion wine. Tell us how you made that. It's, it, it is, it's a little bitter, but it's nice. And, you know, they used to make uh, beer with dandelions, too, right, Chris? Sure. Indeed. Um, Botanicals. <laughs> well, you know, the this is – I love this because two things. It's probably the first wine that I tried to make when I was a teenager because my stepmom was sort of an herbalist. And if you're into herbs, you sooner or later get Susan Weed's book, which has a recipe for dandelion wine. Everyone all over America, you know, it's usually using a recipe that's based on her thing, which – is a horrible, horrible recipe for making wine because it involves like taking a piece of bread and turning it upside down, and like there's no idea that you might rack it or you know do any of the normal. You know, it's an herbalist approach to making wine. So uh, when I started getting back into this, I wanted to re. You know, that wine's horrible. It's like really cloudy and it just tastes like dead yeast. And I was like, but dandelion wine is this amazing product that was made by farmers for themselves in New England. And not so much to get drunk on, but to have a tonic. And what that meant was that in the early spring, they would drink the dandelion wine. Like, you drink this in, like, a little two-ounce cup. You know, it's a little bit bitter, and you can taste the flour and stuff. But the reason they were drinking it is they they were all sick. Because if you were a farmer in New England in the 17th century or the 18th century, you had scurvy in spring. Because you hadn't had vitamin C for four or five months. So when you ate dandelions or you drank dandelion wine, which is 
more importantly, a way to preserve the vitamins of the dandelions, you would suddenly get better. And that was a really important tonic, and it was really important for the farmers in New England. So when I wanted to reapproach that, it took a long time to get it right. And the you know, you know, there's a you can buy dandelion wine, and it's, it's kind of the same thing. They wave a dandelion over it, and like they call it dandelion wine, and you know, it's maybe like basically sugar water that's been fermented. Um, there's in this bottle, which is a small. Wait, so size, how did you how do you make your dandelion wine? Well, I can't give away all my secrets, but I will, I, will, I will tell you... I'll give Michael some new ideas. I will, I will tell you that the main secret is that you need a lot of dandelion flowers. You can't skimp. So, um, you dandelion to, flowers. Yes, yeah, so these are the heads of the flowers. Um, if you're a kind of weird internet nerd and you're looking this stuff up online, there's like sometimes people like take off all the green parts, but the green part's important. It's what gives it the vitamins and the flavor. So, uh, you know, you have to go out there at 10 in the morning and pick the flowers are open for one day. And actually, if you don't want to like completely lose your mind, you really can only pick them for two or three days out of the year because that's when the bloom is, when they all come up. And there's pictures on my website of, of this like field of yellow. You have to go out on that day. You can pick as many as you can for two or three days, and then you freeze them. And the freezing is important because it breaks the cells open without boiling them. And then also it allows me to go around to the wildcrafters and get them all at the same time uh, when I wasn't able to pick them all myself. Uh, Do you, you know, have a uh, pounds per gallon recipe, or how does that work? I can't. Yeah, yeah. I sh- you know, I do actually. You don't want to share. Sh- I thought this whole thing about home brewing and everything was about sharing. I'll tell Isn't you every single recipe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you know, I wish I just saying, knew it all. He can't it's, remember. It's, 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 it's a lot. He's been drinking all afternoon. Let's just say this. I probably did six thirty-six. It's probably a pound a gallon, almost. Okay. Like of heads. So maybe a little bit less. That's pretty respectable. Yeah, 70, yeah, you know, maybe three quarters of a pound of gallons. I mean, the weird thing is, I used to do it by size. And you learn pretty quickly, like, if there's homebrewers out there, just buy a digital scale. Like, stop measuring things. But you have because you have to, like, the dandelions, you'd put them in the bucket, and they'd, you'd never fill up the bucket because they would just keep sort of compressing down. And so I didn't, <laughs> I didn't know the first time I did it how many I had. But it's, so you, you get the dandelion heads. Then what uh, do you do? I mean, what do you make? Like some- uh, well, you have to make a tea, and then essentially I'm using that tea to make a mead. And then um, there's a few other things in it. There's uh, Is there honey in it? Right. Well, then there's honey because you need – the flowers themselves don't really have any sugar, uh, not enough to make a wine. So you're basically making a mead that has like a really heavy infusion of flowers and orange peel. And the orange peel is important because it gives it a bit more of the bittering agent and also the volatile chemicals in the orange peel that kind of lifts the – the flavor up a lot. I think that's really important. Now, what's the ABV on this one? Uh, this one's a little bit higher. This is thirty-five <laughs> percent. <laughs> no, I think we're at like thirteen here. Okay. This, yeah, is, 13, this is this is you know this is great is that we got Michael here who's, who's really doing it with with his meat, and we've got Raphael. We're looking back at these traditional, like really awesome recipes. So, Michael, I, I want you to make us a commercial dandelion wine, and what would you call it? That's what I want to know. Deflower. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's good. That's nice. That's, that's why he gets the ladies. Right? <laughs> so, Chris, what else? So we're we're going to go to Burb Castle tonight. We're going to check out the uh, New York City Homebrewers Guild, the Mead Night. Yes, yes, the uh, New York City Homebrewers Guild, 13th Annual Mead Day. So if you want to learn how to make mead of all kinds, come come hang out with us. So you got the light mead um, or the, what do you call it, the quick mead? Or uh, the well, short mead. Short, short mead. mead. And we'll, we'll also talk, you know. Also known as hydromel. Uh, also known as hydromel. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about braggots, which is kind of like a beer mead blend, blend or kind of combo. Which is that. interestingly not possible to make in the United States anymore. Why not? Because the bra- a proper braggot would probably be like mostly a wine. You know, it would be a high 13, 14% alcohol, right. right? 
So um, if you're making it, if you're making a honey wine, you're not really allowed to put grains in it because you're making it under a winery license, well, right? The, the the exception to the rule in a lot of wineries have done this is they form as a brewery. So like mm-hmm. Rabbit's Foot out in California is listed as a brewery, and they make lots of really incredible braggots. So I um, can make braggots at mm-hmm. 508. Oh, wait, guys, I'm cutting up. Okay, we've got to talk to this uh, a, a good friend of ours on Twitter. If you want to check us out at, at beer underscore sessions, or you go to at heritage radio, heritage dash radio, no, heritage Her- underscore, underscore radio, radio. <laughs> you can be a member. Don't forget, Heritage Radio Network, you become a member. Uh, it's, it's, it's at Bearded Ladies. I'm putting together a culinary event and looking for beer brewed with local, sustainable ingredients inspired by your show suggestions. So, Chris, we did last year, we did an event called Farm Plus Beer Expo. We had uh, different breweries that, that had made beers with their own local ingredients. I know Kelsey's done it, Wandering Star did it. Are you at 508 uh, Gastro Brewery making any beers with local ingredients? Um, I've talked to John Conzella about uh, the the hop thing that he's doing out in Long Island. I've met a couple of different people. There's a guy upstate that just started making his own grain. Um, I am using local ingredients from farmers markets. I have done a, a braggot down there by getting uh, some of Andrew's honey and, and some other like Nature's Way honey. Um, and, but as far as grains grown in New York State, I have not yet used any. Um, I would like to, and assume, I'm really excited about this new maltster. So it's Conzilla Farm also out in uh, Long Island. Yeah, I'm very excited to work with John, too. But I can't until till hop harvest. You know, yeah. Till, till so at, at Bearded Ladies, just so you know, yes, there are uh, several brewers, including Brooklyn Brewery and Kelso. They, they do make batches with local ingredients. Absolutely. We'll tell you more about that and follow us on Twitter at beer underscore sessions and at heritage underscore Radio. Radio, all right. <laughs> and so now we're going to have to do our closeout. Uh, tomorrow night, if you want to learn more about meat, if you're, if you're listening live, uh, Michael and Bernice from, from uh, Moonlight Meadery and Chris Kuzby will be at Jimmy's number 43. We'll be celebrating okay. New Hampshire's Moonlight Meadery. And we're going to be sampling uh, at least probably 10 different meats. And do you have your tickets for Saver in New York City yet? This premier food and beer pairing event is coming up, SaverCraftBeer.com. It's uh, June 14th and 15th. We'll be, we'll be leading a panel, which is kind of cool. And our good friends, uh, Sam Merritt of Civilization of Beer, is offering a special, uh, it's called Pre-Saver Boot Camp. It's going to be at Jimmy's number 43, June 13th, civilizationofbeer.com. So actually, that's coming up in June. When Saver comes to New York, it's usually in D.C. It's the first time here in New York. It's, it's a great beer minds. It's going to be probably one of the, the most interesting beer events ever in New York City. Don't you think so, Chris? It's a fantastic event. It's an awesome event. I've been to it a couple times throughout the years. It's really grown. It's all about food pairing and beer, like every, every brewery. And you get to participate through a lottery. So it's a beer, beers that you won't always see in New York City that have a one-day kind of thing. So And, and a number of Good Brazil bars are going to be featuring a small Long Island breweries that weekend as well. So yeah. go to goodbrazil.com and you can learn more about what's going on. Also, a special event coming up, uh, Eat the City, Farming the Five Boroughs. Uh, check it out at tenement.org. That's going to be happening in New York. And check out our website for more events. Again, goodbrazil.com. I'd like to thank our sponsors at greatbrewers.com. Again, greatbrewers.com, awesome stuff. And without them, they, they represent Michael's uh, Moonlight Meadery. They represent Wandering Star Brewery, a lot of really great breweries. And uh, thanks to Good Brazil. And if you like this podcast, give us a good review on iTunes, too. Hey, thanks to Rafael, Chris, Michael, and Bernice for joining me here on the Heritage Radio Network. I'm Jimmy Carboni. Thanks to our producers, Jack Inslee and Brie O'Connor, engineer Joe Galarraga, and our intern, uh, Justin Kennedy, and our great new assistant programming guy over there, Eddie. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Beer Sessions Radio. Yeah. All right. Drink me. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. 
You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.